I'm going to be honest with you guys about something. I am not the biggest fan of scary stories. Whenever the sole purpose of a story is to just frighten you, uh, you know, make you cower in your bed sheets at night, cuddle up next to someone, specifically me, my wife, as though she's going to protect me from something, I don't like that feeling. Okay, I don't like just being scared for the sake of being scared. Uh, so I don't indulge you know, terrifying stories very often. I don't really get down with that. Uh, it's it's not that I'm some big scaredy cat, as though I have to defend myself on this, but it, but I I just I just don't I don't seek those kinds of things out, and I know there are people that that do. But all that being said, uh, whenever there is a good story, okay, if there's a if there's a good story, and you know, let's just say that if it's if its primary objective is not to make you jump out of your you know boots and uh, reconsider leaving your home for a few days, uh, I can get down with that. Okay, I can, I can be a fan of a story that is, is good like that. I mean, Signs is probably a good example of this, where the whole thing isn't about horror, but it's more about suspense, and there's some scary components in it. But again, if it's a hack and slash movie, total just scare job, I'm not, I'm not down with it. But the story itself, the themes that are within it, I mean, I'm a storyteller, and I love good stories. And if you can tell a good story, even if it does scare you, I, I want to know what about it makes it good. What about it makes it interesting enough for not just me, but a lot of different people to resonate with it and think that it's really good. So with this episode, I'm going to dive into a recent phenomenon, but not so recent because it's an older book now being made into a feature-length film or two films, is Stephen King's It. And with episode 62 here on The Writer's Lens, I want to talk a bit about the dynamic of kids in danger versus adults being in danger. So stick with me here on The Writer's Lens. This is Josh J.C. Alfonso for another analysis episode talking about fear through the lens of a child and through the lens of an adult. I know I'm probably going to get some messages from people now saying things like, you know, Josh, I didn't realize that, you know, you're, you're you know, such an easy to scare person. Uh, do you not celebrate Halloween? Do you not, uh, you know, go around people who wear ghost outfits? Things, you know, just all kinds of strange things I think could probably be sent my way at this point to try and point out that I'm, I'm some kind of scaredy cat. But uh, again, I'm not trying to defend myself. I'm just saying that I, I don't get down with stories where it's just, okay, brutal murder, just total scare, jump scares. You know, what's what's the value in that for me? I, I just I just don't see it. So if I haven't scared you away with that opener and you're intrigued to see where this is going, come on, let's go. Let's let's dive into this thing. Because I want to talk about it. And, you know, it could be a, a million different things, but I'm talking about Stephen King's iconic book, It, which I don't think this is a story that put him on the map by any means, but it's definitely one of those stories that, that have made Stephen King into a household name when it comes to horror. Uh, so if you don't know anything about the story, It, uh, I, I'm kind of surprised. I feel like it's one that nearly everyone's at least heard of before. Uh, but if you haven't, the story of It is set within the Stephen King macro universe. And it's about a bunch of kids, teenagers, um, or young kids, I should say, uh, in the fictional town of 
uh, dairy that are being terrorized by a malevolent entity that they just refer to as it because it has no name. They just call it it. And it's evil and it feeds on children primarily. It f- feasts on their flesh while it feeds on their fear. Uh, it's just a horrible, horrible, horrible creature or uh, malevolent spirit. And this thing appears once every 27 years. And it usually comes out after a horrible incident has occurred, you know, an act of violence or something evil has happened that wakes it up from hibernation. And then it, it goes on its rampage within the, the area of, of Derry, Maine. And uh, it usually takes on the form of a dancing clown known as Pennywise, which, of course, if you have some sort of fear of clowns, then I could see uh, why you would think it's absolutely terrifying. But the play on the clown is significant, and that's something I want to talk about here in this episode, because I've never actually read the book in its entirety, so I, I don't think that makes me lose credibility here, because I'm not really talking about the book in this episode. I want to talk about a review that I was reading for the uh, the second movie in the series of It, because uh, there was It Chapter 1 in 2017, and there was It Chapter 2 just recently in 2019. And the review I wanted to, to talk about was the one that was kind of like a consensus review. I think it was off of Rotten Tomatoes somewhere, where basically they were saying that the second half of the story of It is not as good as the first one. And their reasoning behind that is because the second half of the book and the movie, the reason why it was split into two movies, is because the first half of the book of It deals with the kids, this group of kids known as the Losers Club, sort of these outcasts on, uh, of society, dealing with this monster, and then flash-forwarding 27 years to them coming back to their homes to fight It again because they realize that it is that It has returned. So they're adults now. And Chapter 2 is about the adults. Chapter 1 was about the kids. And this review was basically saying that Chapter 2 is nowhere near as good as Chapter 1 because the scares aren't as good. Now, again, I haven't really seen this movie, and I haven't really seen the original. I've seen a ton of YouTube stuff on this, though. And I saw enough of YouTube to just say, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to pass on watching it in theaters. I might watch it with my wife at some point. If She's not even in the scary stories either. But being that it's Stephen King, it's one of his probably peak novels where he was kind of on top of his game, I would say, and just churning out book after book. And this being probably one of his most memorable, uh, the scare factor is there. The scare factor is there, but also the story is there, apparently, where each of these kids is dealing with a unique fear. And that's what makes it so iconic, is that it's dealing with very real fears that children might have and as adults may have. But that's the kicker in all this. Is there a difference between kids experiencing fear and adults experiencing fear and putting that within the arc of a story? Now, my overwhelming answer to that would be yes. Okay, of course there's a difference. So why would this reviewer say something like chapter two is worse than chapter one? Well, my first inclination could be, well, it's kind of obvious. It's easier to get scared when it's kids that you're watching a story through uh, rather than adults. And there's a couple things that I want to unpack there with that. So so let's just get into it then. You know, let's just get into it and see why would that be? You know, why would that be? And some of these might seem obvious, but the others, uh, I'm not so sure. So 
hopefully this is going to be something of education for us both here. Because first of all, kids are generally helpless. Okay, kids are they're, they're not able to really defend themselves up until a certain age. I mean, up until maybe they're 18, 17, 18 years old, they start getting bigger. They're still eating you out of house and home. I mean, I don't have any teenagers yet, but I recall what it was like being a teenager where I have maybe three or four things in my mind uh, throughout a day. Uh, food was one of them. Sports was another. Girls was another one. And some of my relationships. I mean, that was pretty much it. I wasn't really trying to solve world hunger. I wasn't deeply invested in politics. Uh, even though I know some people were, I wasn't really trying to solve deep theological things. I, I was really just kind of immersed in my own personal bubble. And uh, I know a lot of other kids were like that growing up too, because your world is very limited when uh, you're when you're a kid, okay? You're, you're kind of helpless in some way, and you're always looking for someone to show you the way. So if you suddenly take a bunch of kids in a story and you thrust them in front of a horrible villain, and when I say horrible, I mean like dastardly, cunning, those kinds of things, and these kids are kind of on their own, it heightens the level of terror. Because now you as a viewer, whether you're a kid viewing this or you're an adult, you have some sense of the impossible odds that the uh, that these children are up against. Kind of like in Stranger Things, even though I think Stranger Things has kind of jumped the shark now on danger and the idea of suspense because it's pretty obvious at this point that all the kids are just going to keep on surviving through every single season. I don't foresee them getting rid of one of them. Maybe in season four we'll see one of the kids perish and, and try to keep things lively. You heard it here first on the writer's lens. That's my prediction if they're going to keep this thing lively. But putting a child in a situation versus an adult immediately makes things more more terrifying because we know the kids are generally helpless. They they don't have the same scope of understanding. They can't troubleshoot like adults can. I think there's some good science on this actually about the frontal cortex of young people not being fully developed in in the way of making long-term decisions until they're at least in their 20s. Uh, there's some really good uh, studies out there in psychology on this as well as just, uh, I think, just basic scientific journals that uh, young people have a very difficult time seeing the big picture. Not to say that they can't, but in terms of making long-term goal decisions that have very uh, intricate details in them, they're not as good as adults would be. You know, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond, they're, they're just not there yet. Their capacity is just not there. So kids are, are somewhat helpless. So thinking about the story It, and I can imagine... If you have a bunch of kids facing a malevolent monster that can eat children, okay, and feed on their fear, then yeah, that's pretty terrifying. If it was a malevolent monster feeding on adults, uh, usually the number one thing I always ask myself when I when I see that pop up on a movie or in a book is I just go, as an adult, I, why would I even be in this situation? Like I should be smart enough to get out of that situation. I'm not going to have delusions of grandeur as though I'm going to run into an abandoned building and take a crowbar to the face of some evil monster. Okay, I, I would think I have my wits about me to not do that. A, because I, I wouldn't go in alone, and B, I'd, I'd probably try to come up with a better plan than, than that. Okay, I'm not saying that that's what's something that happens in it. I have no idea. <laughs> but, but I think if you're listening to this, you know that there's monster movies that are like that, where there's, you know, we had to split up. 
and you know, you go your way, I'll go my way, and the only weapon I have is a blade of grass, and that's all I'm going to be able to use against my opponent. Yeah, just just dumb. Okay, just dumb. And at that point, you're almost like rooting for uh, the person to die because they're just so dumb. So, okay, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So that's the first one. Kids are generally helpless. So on top of kids being generally helpless in these situations, this element of fear is also unique with kids versus adults because kids have such limited knowledge of what's to happen, of what's going to come their way. So, for instance, if you if you have a child in a situation where, uh, you know, let's just using Stephen King's story, It, again, and they're going into the sewers to battle this monster, yes, of course, they're afraid. Death could be something that's on their doorstep, but the limited knowledge of perhaps... Uh, you know, eternal stake, right? Like the the idea, and I don't mean stake, S-T-E-A-K, I mean S-T-A-K-E, all right? That there is uh, their livelihood uh, at stake outside of just themselves, you know, their friends, or, or maybe, you know, uh, since they're not adults, they don't have children, they, don't, they maybe don't have extended family that they're responsible for, <clears throat> that they might feel accountable to in some way. So there's almost this cavalier sense of, being a child and having somewhat limited understanding of what the ramifications could be for them being in these situations because they're curious, okay? They're, they're just a little more curious. I mean, I have a four-year-old, a soon-to-be three-year-old, and a three-month-old child now, and each one of them is curious in their own way. I mean, I'm still curious as an adult, but I'm curious about much different things. Okay, I'm not curious about what would happen if I stuck my hand in the stove. I know what would happen. It'd be bad. But my son and my daughter even though I've told them countless times, you know, stay away from the stove. Okay, don't eat that food. It's really hot. All right. Or, you know, we can't just be sticking our hands, you know, in the, uh, you know, into the middle of a worm patch or, or stick our hand underneath, you know, rotten wood because who knows what's under there. They have limited knowledge of what's coming their way. The, there, there's a sense of no fear and there's a sense of, of complete fear that can happen in, in circumstances that are unknown. Whereas, again, being an adult, I can proceed with more caution, right? I can proceed with a bit more analysis happening. Okay, what could happen here? I've seen this before or I've, or I've uh, you know, encountered similar situations. A child is not going to be as good at understanding the full scope of everything that they're encountering or being in front of. And that, of course, heightens the fear factor for an audience member a listener or a reader, if you're reading a story about something that could happen and there's a child in the in the situation, you yourself are projecting that onto the child. You understand that the child can't see things completely clearly or not as clearly as an adult. Unless, of course, it's another Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake and every adult in those movies are just complete idiots. Uh, but that's a, a whole other podcast I could I could go down the rabbit hole on. So we're not going to talk about that. But lastly, uh, to my point, talking about fear for children versus fear for adults and, and why uh, this reviewer or why this sort of aggregate review is saying that chapter two of it is not as good as chapter one would be that, look, we want kids to make it, right? We want kids to survive. So whenever there's a situation like that where there's something horrible that's about to happen in a story, uh, we want the kid to make it. If, if, if we had to choose between the protagonist 
uh, adult that we've followed for the last two hours or for the last 350 pages of a story, and suddenly there's a child that is thrown into the mix that must be rescued at the last moment. I mean, we would feel awful as readers or viewers of this story if our protagonist were to suddenly punk out and say, no, I'm, I'm going to save myself. I'm not going to save the kid, right? Like there's this, this incredible element of a true hero that will lay down their life as an adult, mind you, to save the child, save the younger person, save the other individual in this story, this element of self-sacrifice, which is a very adult kind of theme. Now, if kids display self-sacrifice and they're willing to you know, put someone else before them, then we, we see this as an incredible moment of maturation. We say, wow, look at this kid. This kid recognized, even at such a young age, that there is value and there is a higher ideal of sacrifice that they can display in this story. At again, I, you know, people might come away from it and say, "Wow, there's so much to learn from kids because they see things so clearly." I would argue that kids don't see things very clearly, and yet at the same time, they do see things very clearly. Okay, as as as, as strange and, and paradoxical as that may be, uh, kids can see things clearly. I think in the in the murky waters of being an adult, they can see things very clearly, like potentially like what matters most. Kids can see things very clearly there. But in terms of recognizing true danger, in terms of recognizing, uh, you know, the stakes of, again, S-T-A-K-E, okay. <laughs> I, I, again, I, I just know someone's probably going to email me or message me about that as well, but maybe we'll just edit that out later. We'll just keep this thing rolling. But, uh, but not knowing what the stakes are, okay. Not recognizing what the fool stakes are here in this uh you know in this particular part of the story a child is is not going to know and so we would expect our hero to do something about that to save the child from destruction to save them from imminent death or or whatever it may be um we want this child to survive okay we want this child to make it so we root for the kid more so than we might root for the adult. Now, again, if we're really attached to the adult character, yes, of course, we're going to root for the adult to also make it. But I, but I would argue that there's something inside of us that when we see that situation presented, you know, and you could argue this is something cultural, this is something societal we've built up over time, we want the children to make it versus the adults because we would think of it as a tragedy for a life to be cut short. It'd be tragic for the young person to, to die and the, the older person to live on uh, because of the life that's ahead of them, okay? The life that is that is promised. So to sum up here in this episode, talking about the lens of fear through children and adults, uh, kids are generally helpless. That's my first point. Uh, second point is kids have limited knowledge of what's to come, about what's to occur uh, in their sphere of understanding. And then you know, lastly, we want kids to make it. We want them to survive. We want them to make it through whatever ordeal that they're facing. I mean, think a story like The Sixth Sense and the little boy who could, who could see dead people. Yeah, we want him to make it. We know what he's up against. Everything. No one wants to believe him. Okay? We want the kids to make it. We want them to survive above all else. And, and that really leads me into a bit of my capstone comment for this episode is that if, if we can understand this in even fictional grounds and see it as almost like a metafiction, that 
there's a deeply embedded truth that Stephen King is pointing to in this story that that even this reviewer of It Chapter 1 and It Chapter 2 is getting at that I think is true, uh, that kids are generally helpless, they have limited knowledge, and that we want them to make it, we want them to survive. Why is it then, and this is a bit of a rhetorical question even, why is it then as, that as a society do we Im- impose and impress upon our youth to become adults before they really are ready for it? Why would we do that? And that's a question I want to pose to you, listener. You may not even have kids, okay, who's whoever listening to this. You may be a teenager, young person who's listening to this. Maybe you want to have kids someday. Maybe you don't want to have kids someday. Even if you're not, you're still going to encounter people younger than you as you get older. And this is something that I just want to implore upon anyone that's listening to this is, is to be challenged in this idea that, that kids are just tiny adults. They're not. There's developmental delays. There's emotional delays. There's physical delays, obviously. And they need roadmaps. They need blueprints. Kids need someone looking out for them because they don't know. They don't. I mean, I, a person who I would consider to be a mentor in my life once told me when I, when I first became a father that I needed to always remember that everything is new to a child. Okay, our children just don't inherit our experiences. They don't just inherit the knowledge that we've gained over time. They don't inherit any of those things. You know what they inherit? They inherit our genes, whether or not they, they might lose their hair at a certain age, our eye color, okay, uh, kinds of teeth, any kind of, you know, I have flat thumbs. I think my kids have flat thumbs. Uh, they're not literally flat. They're just flatter than most people. I could I could show you someday if if you're really interested, listener, and you want to check out my YouTube channel, maybe I'll put my hand up sometime. You can see what I'm talking about. But the point is, not to get off on a tangent here, uh, our children are children because they're children. Okay, they're not adults. And, uh, you know, I get very frustrated personally when I see this just push to make them make very, very long-term decisions at a very young age forcing them to become like adults, making them into something uh, that they're not ready for yet. And it can cause all kinds of anxiety. It can cause all kinds of depression. I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot of that now. Uh, I think in, in some major uh, sort of mainstream outlets, we're starting to see some of this coming to fruition, unfortunately. But again, I will say that I'm not against teaching children responsibility at a young age and and making them do adult chores and things like that. But here's the reality. They need a rite of passage. Boy or girl, it doesn't matter. They need a rite of passage into adulthood. Someone needs to usher them into adulthood. And and quite frankly, that usually doesn't happen by an adult. It usually happens by a peer who forces them into something through peer pressure or some sort of social promise. Who knows what it is? And there is no guardian looking out for them. Okay, we just kind of assume they'll just figure it out, right? As long as we give them shelter and food to eat and send them off to a decent school, they'll figure it out. They'll just figure it out. No, they're a lot more afraid than, than that. They have a naivete about them where they're not afraid of anything. But guess what? That's because their knowledge is limited. They don't know what's, what's waiting for them five years down the road. They're not thinking about those things. They're relying completely on you if you're a parent. Again, if you're a parent or a guardian listening to this, this is a challenge I'm, I'm kind of putting out here at the end of this episode. And I, and I don't want you to take it as me coming down on, on you, listener, or anyone else. But just the challenge, especially for me, myself, considering I have three kids, 
to be challenged that, yes, I want my, my children to be of good standing, good character, behave well, listen to what I say, but I also want them to be children, and I don't want them to ruin that, and I don't want to force them into a space uh, prematurely and force them to become like an adult before they're really ready for it. Um, so me being the adult, I have to have the kind of four, the, the kind of foresight to understand that, uh, so as to make those decisions for them because they need that. They absolutely need that. If Stephen King can get this right in every one of his horror novels, which he, where he features a child in, in some sort of plight, then we can get this right in reality. I don't know if that's a quotable thing, but, <laughs> but, uh, it sounds like it could be, it sounds like it could be a quick quote. So. So anyway, uh, that's my episode for today on uh, the story It, or rather not really about It, but rather more about the theme of of fear as a child uh, versus the fear of an adult and what that lens looks like. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you felt challenged in some way. As always, uh, feel free to reach out to me if you like this episode. If you disagree with what I'm saying, you know, please don't hesitate to, to reach out. Send me a Facebook message if you're checking this out through Facebook. You can find me at jclfaltot at gmail.com. That's J-C-L-F-A-L-T-O-T at gmail. I'll take, uh, you know, fun mail and I'll take hate mail. Why not? You know, might as well. <laughs> the engagement is important. So, uh, so, yeah, let me know how you think things are going here. Or if there's uh, a certain show or film or book you'd like me to review or a theme you'd like me to explore. I've already had a, quite a few requests come down the pipeline. So I thank those folks that have been doing that as of late. I uh, appreciate it. But if you think there's something you'd like me to cover or a theme that you're interested in me kind of unpacking a bit or just seeing if I might fall flat on my face on it, hey, send it my way. I'd be, I'd be uh, more, than, more than willing to try and check it out and work it in. So... So that does it for me, guys. I won't draw on any longer, and I will catch up with you guys again soon. This is Josh J.C. Alfalto for The Writer's Lens. Mm-hmm.